the Spirit of God can enter into you whilst the Word of God is being preached. Did you know that? As in like, enter you as you are listening. You know, we can all be here hearing somebody talk, but just one person, because they are attentive listening and the, the, the Word is soaking in. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are what? Spirit and they are life. So the Word of God is not just some words. As you soak it in, as you listen, you would encounter the Spirit of God. One time, Paul was preaching. Was it Paul? Yeah, I think so. He was preaching. And then he saw one crippled man sitting there. And the man, the way he was seated and was listening, and Paul could see. Because when you are talking to people, you can tell who is receiving and who is not. Right? So Paul could see that the man was receiving the words. Immediately he stretched forth his hand and gave him his hand. The man gave him his hand and he pulled him up and said, rise up. And that was his healing. Through the preaching of God's word. Okay? Cornelius and his household, Peter was sent to go and talk to them. He just didn't know. He was just sharing the gospel, talking to them about Jesus. Like something very simple. Talking, talking, talking. Whilst he was talking, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Whilst he was talking. Okay? So don't, don't, don't put God in a box. Thinking that God will have to come when everything is done. Then we are singing and we are praying. Then that's where God shows up. No, you, you might miss him. Okay? Because he might not come the same way. So be very alert. Don't be distracted. If you feel tired, there are many times I come to church tired, so I'm dozing. I get up. Right? You get up. Don't, don't, don't let your body rob you. Get up, stand up, go, pretend like you are going to the washroom. We will all not say anything. Just pretend like you are going to the washroom. But you are feeling sleepy. That's why you are going. By the time you come back, the sleep is gone. Then you are alert. Okay? Alright. So... The way today is going to go, I'm going to talk to you guys in the next um, 50 minutes. And then Pastor Cheryl will come and talk to us till lunchtime. Lunch is at 12.30. So, stay with me as we go through this first part um, of the presence of God. I want to talk to you briefly about something I have entitled Ichabod. How many of you have heard Ichabod before? Ichabod. Ichabod. I-C-H-A-B-O-D. Okay. We'll talk about that today. Let's pray. Eyes. I want you to focus, okay? I want you to focus as the word comes. It's spirit and life. So focus and try and understand. We'll have a, a time when I come later in the afternoon for questions. So come, 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 come in front, Judah. Come sit beside Nathan. Now close your eyes and pray. Tell the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, open my spiritual ears to hear. Open my heart to understand. Help me to receive these words that are coming. Just pray. Pray for yourself. Be serious. Karatosh kabahatas. Labarandus kemoshahataya. Prekoski mola pazomre deles. Subara hoskom foribatakai. Ikoriadaba. Open our ears to hear. In the name of Jesus. I come against anything that will distract us from our physical body to outside of us. In the name of Jesus, we'll bring everything in subjection to the obedience of Christ. That Jesus Christ will have his way among us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so Ichabod. Ichabod. Let's see what um, the outline will look like today. And I don't like the way 
Nathan, can you go and see if you can move it? Move it in. Uh, look, we'll talk briefly about the story behind Ichabod. And then after, we'll talk about why the glory departs. Ichabod means the glory has departed. Or the presence. The glory is another way for the presence. The presence has departed. And in talking about that, we'll talk about the sin of Eli's sons, the sin of Eli, the sin of Samuel's sons, the sin of Israel. Very, very quick, quick points there. And then we'll look at five things we must know about sin. Five things we must know about sin. And then we'll have a time of prayer. So I'll begin with a story behind Ichabod. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 12. Pay attention, guys. Don't be distracted. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 12. Ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with death on his hand. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road. By the road, what? Watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this roar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Okay? Now, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. He was getting blind. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled from the Philistines. Huh. I don't think it's from, but from makes sense has fled, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. You guys know what the ark of God is, right? It was this whole big box that God came on it, the presence of God was there, and the people were have sacrifices there, the high priest will make sacrifices there and stuff. And so the ark was captured by the Philistines. Now it says, as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. So old, fat man fell over and broke his neck. And then he died. Have you heard of this story before? Heard it before? So Ichabod, let's read on actually. Now his daughter-in-law, that is the wife of Phinehas, who was the son of Eli, she was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. She was pregnant. The moment she heard that um, the ark of God has been captured and her husband was dead, her father-in-law just died, she immediately went into labor. And the baby came out. And as the baby came out about the time of her death because it was so painful the woman was about to die he said the woman attending to her the woman attending her said to her do not be afraid for you have born a son but she did not answer or pay attention because she was dying and she named the child Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Now in those, time, in those days, it was the women that named the children. Right? So the woman gives birth, 
and said, Yeah, we shall call his name um, Isaac. I shall call his name this, and that will be the name. Right? I don't know why people say the Bible is um, anti women. I don't think so. Bible actually is in very great support of women. A lot of the people who supported Jesus' ministry were women. Like Suzanne, Mary, um, Magdalene, and some other women. Okay, so she named the child Ichabod. Ichabod means what? The glory has departed. The glory is another word for the presence. Okay, our theme is the presence. And as we get into it and roll it out for the rest of the day, this morning, what I really want um, you to pay attention to is what makes the presence of God to go away from us, right? You see here in this story, uh, there was a certain priest, Eli, if you know the story, was a priest of God. And somehow Eli was not doing certain things right. Okay, it's okay, Nathan. And his sons were also not doing certain things right. As a result of that, the whole nation of Israel was affected. So the time came when their enemies came to attack them, the Philistines. So they were going to battle. And they realized that the way the battle was going, we are about to lose. So they came, the elders of Israel came and said to Eli, we think that let's take the ark of God because they all believe that God lived in the ark, right? The ark carried God's presence, you know? One thing that that tells you is how they believed in the power of his presence to be with you wherever you are going. That's why I believe that God gave us this theme for this session, especially as you're going to school, that that presence will go with you. So they believe that the presence is on the ark, and if we take the ark into battle, it's like we are carrying God to the battle. So they did that, but they've forgotten that um, things were not going on well between them and God. So as they took the ark to the battle, God was not in the ark. God was not with them. The Philistines, when they saw the ark, they said, eh, because the enemies also knew about the ark. They said, eh, they have brought their God who killed all the Egyptians and threw Pharaoh to the Red Sea. This great God who fights all their battles for them, they have brought their God to the battlefield. And they told among themselves, look, Philistines, you, it's, this is a do or die because this God, he, they never overcome him. So fight with all your strength, otherwise they will kill all of us. And the Philistines shouted and fought. And they were able to defeat the Israelites and they captured the ark. And in the, in the, in the midst of the fighting, they killed Phinehas and um, his brother, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. They killed both of them in that same day. Okay, and Eli, who has been the priest for 40 years, he has served and ministered over this ark all his life. When the news came to him that the ark of God has been captured, he, was, he fell into a shock and then he died. And then his daughter-in-law went into labor, gave birth to a son, and she said, ah, the glory of God has departed from Israel on this day that I gave birth to this boy. So his name will be called Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has departed. It means that it is very possible for God to be somewhere and for some reasons he will go away. You know? And I felt that as we're talking about the presence of God, it's very important for us to know what are those things that make God go away. So let's look at what are those things that they did that made them go away. So we look at the sin of Eli, or Eli's sons, the sin of Eli's sons. What at all did Eli's sons do that made God leave a whole nation? You know, what at all did they do? It says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 
verse 12 to 17. Now the sons of Eli were evil and good for nothing men. <laughs> good for nothing men. Having no knowledge of God or of the God of Israel. And the priest's way with the people was this. When any man made an offering, the I don't like this thing, it's disturbing me. Okay, I'm going to read it from my phone. So, let's read that. It says, Now the sons of Eli were evil and good for nothing men, having no knowledge of the Lord. And the priest's way with the people was this. When any man made an offering, the priest's servant came while the flesh was being cooked, having in his hand a meat hook with three teeth. This he put into the pot, and everything which came up on the hook, the priest took for himself. This they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Try and understand, okay? I'm just explaining scripture. Don't think that I'm doing some wild preaching here. I'm just explaining scripture so we understand, okay? What was happening was that the priests, they were supposed to help make the sacrifice, the offerings, when the people bring the sheep and offerings. There were different kinds of offerings. There was the peace offering. There is the sin offering. What other offering do you know? Fellowship offerings. What other ones? The most common one, the burnt offerings. Right? And God gave them all these offerings for different purposes. And there were reasons behind each of them. But somehow, Eli's sons, they felt, right, that whatever God had put in place for them was not sufficient. I'll give you an example. Burnt offering is meant for God. They burn the offering fully. The, the priest doesn't take any part. The, whoever is bringing the offering doesn't take any part. Everything is burnt because it goes to God. That was a burnt offering. And then there was the um, sin offering. And the sin offering, the priest would take a portion. God allowed this. The, the, a portion will go to the priest and the rest will go to God. The person who brought the sin offering doesn't get any part. And then the peace offering is the one that God allowed that the one who is bringing the offering, you get a portion and the priest also gets a portion. But before the two of them get their portions, the fat part of the animal is burnt and offered to God. Now, you know, every, every command of God is also for our good. You know, God was saving them from unnecessary sickness, but they didn't know. Because they eat all the fat. You see how Eli became fat and he died from, from that. God told them, burn all the fat as offering to me. Then the rest, the, the one bringing the offering will take some and then the priest will also take. And God actually defined which part of the sheep that the priest has to take. It's not like any part. But Eli's sons, they thought that, why, why, why all these rules, whatever? No, we want a bigger portion. We want even some of the fat, right? So they started doing something that Eli never talked about and he didn't rebuke them. And it almost became a custom. That's why he says that, and he said, the priest's way with the people was this. When any man made an offering, the priest's servant came while the flesh was being cooked. Right, so this was when it was starting. They they started by doing giving God his fat, the fat part. They offered that to God. Then the law required that the one who brought the offering will cook it, right? And after it is cooked, the priest can come and take his part. So they decided that no, whilst it is cooking, they will go with a three prong fork and put it in the bowl. Whatever comes out. They take it by force. Right? Let's see that part. Let's, let me move on. It says, and more than this, before the fat was burned, so before even God got his part, the priest servant will come and say to the man who was making the offering, give me some of the flesh to be cooked for the priest. He has no taste for meat that is cooked in water. But would have you give it uncooked 
Maybe he wanted to make barbecue. She didn't want it boiled. So they want to make some nice barbecue. And the man will say to him, First, let the fat be burned. Then take as much as you will. Then the servant will say, No, you are to give it to me now, or I will take it by force. And the sin of these young men were very great before the Lord, for they gave no honor to the Lord's offerings. So, you see, here is breaking down to us why did God depart from them in the midst of a battle? Right? And we're seeing here what these young men were doing that they were taking things that belonged to other people, right? And then they were taking things that didn't belong to God. And then he said they despised or they gave no honor to the Lord's offerings. Let's see another scripture in chapter 2, verse 22. It says, Eli was very old and he kept hearing about everything that his sons were doing to the Israelites. And that they were even sleeping with the women who worked at the entrance to the tent of the Lord's presence. Do you see a progression in their sin? One, they started, we are not happy with our portion. We'll take more from what belongs to the other person. Then they said, no, we don't want that. We want to take it before God takes his part. Then now they are moving on to sleeping with the women in the temple. And they are the children of the priests. So he said to them, Eli said to them, Why are you doing these things? Everybody tells me about the evil you are doing. Stop it, my sons. This is an awful thing the people of the Lord are talking about. If anyone sins against someone else, God can defend the one who is wrong. But who can defend someone who sins against the Lord? Right? But they will not listen to their father. No question. Questions at the end. But they would not listen to their father, for the Lord had decided to kill them. The Lord had decided to kill them. That's why they were not listening to their father. Amen. So I want us to see in a summary what really the sin of the sons of Eli um, was. Okay. First of all, their very, the very first beginning of their sin was that they did not know the Lord and they didn't care about it. It says, if you, if you remember in the chapter 2, verse 12 of 1 Samuel, they didn't know God and could not have cared less. They didn't know God and could not have. Does it look like it's something bad to not know God? It looks like harmless. It looks like it's just an opinion. Um, I just don't want to really know God. And you see, when we talk about knowing God, I'm not talking about believing that God is there, right? I think that the sons of Eli believed that God was there. They were actually offering sacrifices to him, right? But they really didn't know God. It's different when you meet some of your classmates, you know them, you know who they are, you even know maybe their parents and everything, but you know that you don't know them. Right? There are some of the people in your class, you know that you really don't know them, even though you know them. So when he says that they didn't know God, he's not talking about just um, being aware of God or knowing God. It was like they really didn't have a close connection, relationship with God. And what makes it worse is they didn't care about not having that close connection or relationship with God. They didn't really care. They were just satisfied with um, going through things and not really knowing God. That is a, is, is a problem because that is the beginning of sin. That is where sin always begins. When we move away from God and we don't really care about it. You see, when you hear that some people have done some very bad things, like for instance, you hear that Eli's son slept with a woman in the temple, it's easy for us to shake our head and say, oh, well, they, they really went far. Right, they went really far. No, don't, don't think like that. Because you can do worse. I can do worse. It's only God who is helping us, small, small. Oh, you don't think so. It's God who is helping all of us. And so, one of the devil's strategies to cause us to lose God's presence 
is to put us in a position where we are not really concerned about not knowing God deeply. Like we're just okay on the surface. That was their problem. They were just okay on the surface. We know all the sacrifice, whatever. But to really know God, like talk to God, so he talks back to me, those kind of things. No, 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 that's, that's not for me. And that was the beginning of their downfall. It progressed from there. They were greedy and took more meat from what belonged to other people. Like I told you, whatever was for the other person, they said, no, 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 we're going to have it now. So they became greedy. Greed is a sin in the heart. Right? Nobody sees greed. I mean, how would you know? Look at me, nice person like me. Do you think I'm greedy? Uh, do I look greedy? I, I don't look greedy. Beverly, do I look greedy? You don't know? Uh, but I mean, you think I'm, I don't look like I'm greedy. Right? You don't see, you cannot tell a greedy person by looking at their face. Because it's, it's, a, it's a sin in the heart. You know, it's a sin in the heart. Many of the serious sins are in the heart. You don't see it. It's not like smoking or drinking, you know, or even fornicating, right? But many of the very serious sins are in the heart. So that was where they progressed to, where now they were greedy for more, things that doesn't belong to them. Nobody sees it, but God saw it. And then they progressed from there it says they despised the Lord's offerings and took from what even belonged to the Lord. So now we don't even fear God anymore. It's like, what is all these offerings, whatever? No, I have to satisfy myself first. So we put ourselves first before God. So it's like the sin was progressing. Then from there, once the fear of God drops, it's like the sky is the limit. Can do anything. And what did they do? They slept with the women in the temple. Serve with the women in the temple. And at that point, it had gotten really too far. So, then in 1 Samuel 3, 13, we'll read it later on, but they actually spoke against the Lord or blasphemed. They committed the sin of blasphemy against the Lord. They spoke evil against the Lord. And when they did that, their destiny was sealed. God said, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill them. And the only way God will kill them is when they refuse to repent. Right? And so, when their father was advising them, the Bible said they didn't listen. And the reason why they didn't listen was because God had planned to kill them. So sometimes when some people are stubborn, it's because judgment is, is hanging on their head. You understand? That's why it's, it's best when we are not stubborn. We'll talk about that. So let's move on to the sin of Eli. What did Eli do wrong? What did Eli really do wrong? It was his sons who were doing all these evil things. But somehow the Bible also tells us Eli did something wrong. And what was it? It says in 1 Samuel 2, 27 to 30, that a prophet came to Eli with this message from the Lord. When your ancestor Aaron and his family were slaves of the king of Egypt, I revealed myself to Aaron. So remember, we're talking about the presence, right? God said, I manifested my presence to Aaron. And his family were slaves of the king of Egypt. He so said, I revealed myself to Aaron. From all the tribes of Israel, I chose his family to be my priest, to serve at the altar, to burn the incense, and to wear the effort to consult me. And I gave them the right to keep a share of the sacrifices burned on the altar. Like what I was talking about. Why then do you look with greed at the sacrifices and offerings which I require from my people? Why, Eli, do you honor your sons more than me by letting them fatten themselves on the best parts of all the sacrifices my people offer to me? I, the Lord God of Israel, promised in the past that your family and your clan would serve me as priests for all time. But now I say that I won't have it any longer. Instead, I will honor those who honor me and I will treat with contempt those who despise me. So God was saying to Eli that he, his heart was filled with greed. That he wanted 
more of the sacrifices. So what was happening was when his sons were going for those meat, he was at home enjoying it. He would bring it home and cook it, and he would be enjoying it. That's why he couldn't really rebuke them. You know, when, when you partake of somebody else's wrongdoing, you can't really rebuke them for what they are doing. If I steal and I give you some of my money, can you then, and you know that I stole the money, can you then already put on some Christian cloak and say, um, but you know it's wrong to steal? Can you do that? You can't do that. Because the moment you do that, I'll say, but you know I'm stealing, but you are taking the money. Right? So it was the same thing with Eli. His sons were bringing it, and he was eating it and enjoying it. So he couldn't really rebuke them in a strong way. And God said he was honoring his sons more than him. Amen? Let's see this other scripture in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. It says, In those days, when the boy Samuel was serving the Lord under the direction of Eli, there were very few messages from the Lord, and visions from him were quite rare. Verse 8, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. This is what I want you to notice. That Eli, how did Eli know when God came to Samuel and was calling Samuel, how did Eli know that the third time that Samuel, um, I think it's God who is calling you. I think it's God who is calling you. And he wants you to respond. So when he calls you, respond this way. Here I am, speak, your servant is listening. It told me that Eli knew at some point God's voice, right? He knew God's voice. So he, at some point, God was speaking to him. But somehow, when we see in verse 1, that in those days, there were very few messages from the Lord and visions from him were very rare. What that tells me is that at some point, he lost that. He lost that closeness to God. But he really didn't care about it. You see? So it was along the same lines that his sons were sinning, where they didn't know the Lord and they didn't care about it. Eli, he knew the Lord and at some point lost it, right? Which should inform us that it's possible to lose it at some point if you don't hold on to it, right? Hold on to the presence of God. But he also didn't care when he lost it. And because of that, it led him to do many things that were wrong. Let's see this scripture. As for me, Samuel, this was Samuel speaking later on, the Lord forbid that I should sin against him by no longer praying for him or praying for you, the people of Israel. Instead, I will teach you what is good and right for you to do. You see, so Samuel knew that if he was the priest, this was after Eli was dead and Samuel had now become the priest, that if I'm the priest of these people, I must be praying for them. And if I don't pray for them, what is that? It was sin. So what do you think Eli was doing? He was sinning all those times. He never prayed for the people because it's when you pray for them that God speaks to you about them, that you can talk to them and tell them, hey, people, you are sinning against the Lord. You need to change your ways, right? But he himself was enjoying the sin. So he never heard from God. Amen. So let's move on and see what last thing the Lord told about Eli in response to his sin. The Lord said to Samuel, this was after the Lord appeared to Samuel while he was a boy. The Lord said to Samuel, someday I'm going to do something to the people of Israel that is so terrible that everyone who hears about it will be stunned. This was before the ark was captured. Right? God was already warning them. And he says, On that day I will carry out all my threats against Eli's family from beginning to end. I have already told him that I am going to punish his family forever because his sons have spoken evil things against me. Eli knew they were doing this, but he did not stop them. So I solemnly declare to the family of Eli that no sacrifice or offering will ever be able to re remove the consequences of this terrible sin. I mean, 
Would you think that there is some sins that no sacrifice can remove? But here God is saying that, right? That the sins of Eli and his sons were so terrible that no sacrifice will be able to remove them. So let's look at the summary of Eli's sins. First, Eli valued religion more than relationship. He, he was okay with going through the motion, being at the temple. He, was, he lived in the temple, you know. He was offering the sacrifice. He, did not, he never stopped offering sacrifices. Offering the sacrifice. Remember even when Hannah was praying for a child, every year they would go to the temple. Eli would be there receiving the sacrifices, everything, going through the motions. He loved it. You know, but he, he came to value religion more than a relationship with God, more than a personal experience of God. So it's like, um, I enjoy coming to church, I'll be in the church, whatever, but even though I'm in the church, I'm not here. You know, my body is here, but me, me now, I'm not here. I'm somewhere in my thinking. I'm doing something else completely. We all see you, we see that you come to church every Sunday. You are a very serious Christian. But meanwhile, no, the relationship with God is not existing. That was Eli. He valued religion more than relationship. So he stopped praying but continued with the sacrifices. Right? And Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15:22, which does the Lord prefer obedience or offerings and sacrifices? Is it it is better to obey than to sacrifice the best sheep to God? So like me. If I use myself as an example, it's very, very easy to go through all the pain to prepare to come and talk to you guys about this, right? And every Sunday, come and go through the motions, talk to you, preach to you, and all of that, but not have a personal relationship between me and God. That is like for me. It's very easy. And so I'll be like a priest, like Eli, who will be offering sacrifices every Sunday, serving God, doing things, but I don't have a personal relationship with God. And that is what we want to avoid because the moment you get there, you are on a path like Eli's sons. You, before you realize, you are doing some things that you never thought that you would do. You never thought. Okay? So, what was the other thing about Eli's sons? He paid Eli's sins. Eli paid more attention to his physical body than his spiritual body. He ate the sacrifices and became very fat. He made sure his body was being fed, eating, eating. But his spiritual body and then his heart, he really didn't care. God had not spoken to him for a long time. He said in those days, there were no more frequent visions or messages from the Lord. He had not heard from God in a long time and he didn't care. But he made sure the, the meat, no there, he will eat it, you know? And it's easy for us to get there where our attention is so much on our body that we don't have any time for our spiritual man, you see? And that is the track that the devil uses. It's, 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 the devil never, all of a sudden, will come to you and say, you know what, um, go, and, go and do this bad thing. He knows you won't do it. He knows because where you are, he can't get you there. So he will just start gradually with some of these things where, you know, it's a long time I actually from my heart prayed and talked to God. Why is that? You know, from your heart, not just reciting some the Lord's Prayer where you just say things that you are just going through the emotions. No, we're talking of heart to heart connection to God where it's like, yeah, yeah, I know that really like I'm here and God is here and like I'm talking to him and I feel it and I, like I know. You know, we're talking about the presence, not something that's abstract and far away, but like he's here, I'm talking to him. And we all go through those things where after some time of going through a lot of activity, you realize that, hey, Charlie, the connection is, is going down. You, you have to be concerned and do something about it. Don't just let it slide like everybody really is doing this and whatever. Hey, when you do that, you, you are, the presence is going to go away. And then it will lead you into all sorts of things that you will be surprised at yourself. Okay? So he paid more attention to his physical body than his heart. And then he honored his sons above his God or his family. He honored his sons 
which for us is like honoring your family, your relations, your friends, more than God. And he failed to teach them God's way. You know, it's very easy to value physical relationships above your spiritual relationship to God. Okay? Very easy. But Jesus said, if you come after me, if you want to follow me, and you don't hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife or husband, your children, and even your own life, Jesus said, you can't follow me. That's Christianity. When he says hate, it doesn't mean like hate as in um, I hate, I wish that you are all dead. No, not, not that. But it's a comparative word. What he's saying is that you love them. And I want you to love them. He told us, love people, right? You love them, but compared to the love that you have for me, are, that love should be like really, really small. Because your love for me should be very big in a way that it doesn't interfere with your love for me. Do you get it? Do you get it or I should explain it differently? Right. So that was the sin of Eli. The last thing is that he lost his sense of God's fear and no longer trembled at God's word. I mean, we all go off one way or the other. But when you are told that there's a prophecy and the prophecy comes, mentions your name and tells you, this is what you are doing. God is not happy with it. He is going to punish you for that. When you hear something like that, won't you be scared? But think of this man who hears something like that and all he says is, well, God, let him do whatever seems good to him. That's what Eli said when Samuel told him, this was God appeared to me in the night and this was what God told me that he was going to do to your family because of your sins. What Eli said was, well, it is the Lord. Let him do what he wants. I mean, the man had deviated so much, gone away from God to the extent where he lost his sense of God's fear. Didn't really care anymore. God's word didn't bother him anymore. Right? So, we must not get there. We must not get there. Now, I'm going to move on. I'm going to talk supposed to talk about the sin of Samuel's sons, but I'm going to skip it. And the sin of Israel, I'm going to skip that as well. And move on to five things that we must know about sin. Okay? And then we'll end with it. Five things we must know about sin. The first thing is that our sin separates us from the presence of God. I mean, you've seen it in this short scripture that I'm talking to you about. Our sin, your sin, my sin, what it does is it separates us from God's presence. As we talk about the presence, God wants to be with us. He wants his presence to be with us. I mean, we started a new school year. God wants to be with us. But sin in my life, sin in your life, what it does is it pushes God away from us. Why is that? Let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, Verse 1-2 to It says that Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened That it cannot save Or his ear dull That it cannot hear But your iniquities or your sins Have made a separation between you and your God And your sins have hidden his face from you So that he does not hear You know Remember they went to battle They brought the ark you think God couldn't have delivered them from the Philistines? He could. But he says, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot see. And his ear is not dull that it cannot hear. But your sins have separated God. What sin does? It comes between you and God and pushes the presence away from you. And if the presence is away from you, in fact, you are, you are just toast for the devil. You know, so the God can save you. God can help you. And that's what sin does. It separates us. And that's what we saw with the nation of Israel. In this other scripture in Habakkuk, it says, Are you not eternal, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Your eyes are too holy to look at evil, and you cannot stand the sight of people doing wrong. 
That's God. That, that's how God is. He's so holy. His eyes, so holy and pure, his eyes can't look at sin. So imagine the presence is with you in your room because, I mean, you've been doing well. The presence is there and then all of a sudden you are sinning. God just closes his eyes and turns away. Because he cannot look at sin. He's too pure, too holy to look at sin. Right? And he said he cannot stand the sight of people doing wrong. So that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had thought about doing anything simple, uh, sinful, if I had a thought about doing anything sinful, the Lord would not have listened to me. You see, this one was really strong for me when I was reading this. That sometimes even the thought, the plan to just still be in your heart, you haven't really done it, but it's like you are planning to do it. That in itself is sinful that pushes the presence away. That's why Jesus said, the one who lusts after a woman in his heart. So it's like he hasn't really done anything with the person physically, but he looks and lusts in his heart. Jesus said, you have already done it. Do you get it? Because God looks at the heart. And, and that is one thing I want us to know. God is telling us about sin. The other thing that we want to learn from this story about sin is that sin, our sin affects others. You know, there's nothing like um, secret sin when you are in a corporate community. Corporate community meaning like, you know, we are a church, we are all here, we are all connected. I am connected to you, are connected to me. If I decide that I'm going to go off and do something bad, I will be deceiving myself when I think it's my life and uh, I can do whatever I want. No, because what I do is going to affect you. I mean, won't you be affected if you hear that um, I've gone to, God forbid, do some armed robbery somewhere? Won't you be affected? You'll be affected. In fact, you'll be shocked. What? What's the serial? I didn't even think he can hold a gun. Right? And then you'll be shocked, and then you'll be wondering. So all these things he has been talking to us about and all that, and he can be doing this. How? How could he be doing that? And then you see that if you are not careful to affect your own faith, and then you also begin to be cold and then gradually backslide. So I cannot say that it's my life. I can do what I No, I can't do what I want. You see, and especially those of you who are in the executives, the leaders, you can't do what you want. Your life is connected to everybody in the youth. You do something wrong, your sin will affect other people. You see, Eli's sons, they were doing their own thing, enjoying the meat. And then the woman in the temple sleeping with them, and doing all those things. They thought that it's my life. Let me do what I want. Right? Their sin affected their dad. Their dad, their dad also was enjoying the meat that they were stealing and bringing home. And then he also, his sin affected the whole nation of Israel because he wasn't now talking to God. He wasn't hearing from God to talk to the people. And all the people were sinning against God. So just that little sin that the boys were doing affected the whole nation. Now, the whole nation went to battle against Philistines. And more than 50,000 people died. Because God said, these people are sinning. I can't be where sin is. Let me just leave them. The presence left them. And look at the casualties. The many people that died because of some sin that started somewhere. So, our sin affects people. And we must... um, not treat it lightly, like I said. Now, the third thing to know is that sin is what God says it is. Right? Sin is what God says it is. It's not what I think it is. It's, it's God that defines what is sin. So, for instance, you um, have a law now that says uh, this lifestyle is not illegal it is legal means it is okay to do it right it does not make it right god says it is wrong it is wrong and you know sometimes what we do and i'm saying that because i see that it's very easy for me to do that when the holy spirit is convicting me of something that i'm doing wrong it's very easy to try and rationalize it why um 
because this one happened and this one happened, that is why this one that I've done is not too bad. You know, it's like I've rationalized the whole thing. Why, God, you have to see that, um, yes, even though I spoke wrongly, but it was because they provoked me and they, this one did and this one that, that so um, it's, not, it's, it's okay. When, when you put two and two together, God, you should understand. But no, it's not like that, you know. Sin is what God says. It doesn't matter whether you think it is sin or not. If God thinks it is sin, you will experience the consequence. For instance, looking into the ark of God. Is there something wrong with that? The ark was captured by the Philistines. Later, they brought it back. And the people of Beth Shemesh said, Oh, let's find out what's in the ark. They opened the ark, looked in. Seventy of them died. God, they actually said God through a blow, just one blow, <laughs> just one blow like that, 70 men, they were dead. Why? Because God had told them when Moses was making the ark that you should not look upon God. And they knew that, right? But does it look like it's something wrong to just look? No. But God said it was sin, and so they faced a the consequence. So sin is not what we think is sin, but what God says is sin, which is why if you really want to encounter the presence, you must soak yourself in God's word. What has God said that I must know? Do you get it? The last, um, the, the fourth thing to know about sin is that God will judge our sin. God will judge our sin. He's God. I mean, he, his silence does not mean consent. You've heard it before. Silence means consent. And a lot of times when we know we've done something bad, we try to wait and see, uh, will something bad happen to me after? If, if nothing really bad happens, then uh, maybe it wasn't that bad after all. Maybe God just showed me mercy or God is okay with it. No, 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 no. When it comes to God, silence does not mean consent. Oftentimes, actually, silence may often mean that God is really, really mad and he doesn't want to touch you now because if he touches you now, you'll be toast. <laughs> you know, like, if he, because he's really angry with what has happened, he doesn't want to, you know, he says, he's, he wants to, be con wants to control himself. So he'll wait. That's why we shouldn't think that our sin is okay because judgment has not come. Let's see what it says in Psalm 50. It says, to the sinner, to the sinner, God says, what are you doing taking of my law, right? What are you doing taking of my laws or taking the words of my agreement and putting that in your mouth? Seeing that you have no desire for my teaching, turning your back on my words. I always, these people are sinning, but they are so religious. You see them holding the big Bible and quoting scriptures and all that. God says, well, you, you are sinning. What are, what, what are you doing with my words in your mouth? Right? And then it says, verse 21, you have done all this and I have said nothing. So you thought that I am like you. But now I reprimand you and make the matter plain to you. So silence with God does not mean consent. God will judge our sin. In Jeremiah 17, 10, he says, I, the Lord, I am the searcher of the heart, the tester of the thoughts, that I may give to every man the reward of his ways in keeping with the fruit of his doings. I want you to notice, he doesn't talk about anything physical there. The searcher of the heart, I mean, you can't see your heart. And the tester of your thoughts. Can you see what I'm thinking? You can't really see. But God is saying, those are, the, those are his marking schemes. And your school has begun when you are studying. You guys know what Apo is. You don't know what Apo is. Apo is like um, before the exams comes, before the questions come, somehow you have an insight into what the questions are. Right? Don't you like that? Teacher gives you, you know, this exam is coming here, 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 here. You must be very, very proud to say, no, media, I'm going to read the whole textbook. No exams brings questions on the whole textbook. It's always from here, from here, from here, from there. So if you're humble, you just go by the apple and study along it. And then you are sure to do well. Right? And God has given us his marking scheme. That this is how I am going to judge you. I'm going to judge you by searching your heart 
and your thoughts. Right? And we have to pay attention to that one because that's, it's from there that everything flows. Everything that you do physically is coming from your thinking or it's coming from your heart. You get it? If you can overcome over there, you are overcoming everywhere. So Galatians, it says, do not deceive yourself. No one makes a mockery of God or no one makes a fool of God. Everyone will reap exactly what they plant. Okay? Everyone will reap exactly what they plant. Now, the last thing is, God only forgives sin if we truly repent. God does forgive any and every sin. Only if we truly repent. Now, look at this statement. It doesn't matter what you've done, God will forgive you anyway. Is that true? We've heard it oftentimes. But it's not true always. It's true to some extent on condition that you repent. What does it mean to repent? Repent actually simply means to turn around. Change your mind. Like do a U-turn. So if what I'm doing is to be stealing from the bank and I confess to God, God doesn't just forgive me because I have confessed. No, no, don't, don't, don't confuse that. God will forgive any and every sin if you simply confess to him. No, it doesn't just forgive because you have confessed. It forgives because you have repented. Confessed for, should, repentance should always follow confession. And then God forgives. Amen. Look at this scripture. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asteroid from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the idols and the asteroid, and they served the Lord only. So when the ark came back, they all of a sudden had a revelation that, look, God has not been with us um, for all this while, that the ark has come back. And so they wanted the presence to come back to them. And Samuel told them, you have to do it from your heart. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, put away the foreign gods. It wasn't enough that they were lamenting and crying that, oh, where is the presence? Where is God? And crying, oh, I've done this and weeping. Sometimes... People are crying over their sin because they have been caught, not because they are sorry. Right? If they were not caught, they would still be flowing and doing it. And so, God requires repentance from us. I have two last scriptures and then I'll bring it to a close. Here he says, Jesus, some people came to Jesus and were talking to him about some tragedy that happened. Pilate, some people were offering sacrifices to God. I don't even know if it was to God, but they offered sacrifices. And Pilate, what he did was he caught them, killed them, and mingled their blood with the sacrifice that they were offering. Very gruesome thing that he did to them. And so some people came and were like telling Jesus, hey Jesus, breaking news, did you see what was on CNN the other day? Um, these people were mingled, their blood was killed, they were killed, their blood was mingled with the sacrifice. Uh, what do you think? And Jesus said to them, um, do you think that these people who were killed, that they were worse sinners than all the other people around? And Jesus said, no. But if you don't repent, you will also perish like that. Now, that tells me two things. One, that the death of those people were connected to their sin. Right? He said, don't you think that they were worse sinners Done. So their death was connected to their sin. But it was also not because um, their sin was worse than the others. It died because of their sin, but there were other people who were even sinning worse, who were still alive. Right? So judgment time is different for different people. And sometimes the mistake a lot, a lot of young people make is, um, my friend is blowing time, smoking, doing drugs, doing this, and let me just join along. You know, Your judgment may come quicker. And they will still be alive and later on hear the gospel and repent and go to heaven. And you see that you have been a fool. 
And God forbid that that should happen to any of us. Amen? So, he says, Jesus said, they have to repent or they will all likewise perish. And that tells me God will punish sin if we don't repent. But if we do repent, forgiveness is available to us. The last scripture in Hebrews 12, 16, he says, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright and future blessing for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You know, I remember one time a friend of mine, and he shares this. He was the man, he was, he was the man that actually um, mentored me in the Lord when I came to the Lord. And really, he really impacted my life with prayer and studying the word and everything. And he was telling me how at some point he was a Christian on fire for the Lord. But at some point he and his friends who were all Christians on fire for the Lord, they had a very crazy thought. Like, hey, why don't we backslide and go into the world? and enjoy the world, and then after some time, we come back to the Lord. Right? It's very, very crazy. That's just, it's just, you see, that's the devil. Because it makes them think that they have the authority and power to decide that we are coming to the Lord. But it's, it's, not, it's not always like that. So they went. They did that. He backslid, went clubbing, everything, like doing all those things. He said his friends whom he did that with, they all died in their sin. They died. He was the only one. God had mercy on him. He was able to turn around. So he has a he has a, a hole in his ear when he was doing. He could put on earrings like this was Ghana. Wild living, but somehow he was fortunate. God had mercy on him. Now he's a prophet of God, preaching. Right. So judgment is not the same. So don't be deceived by friends. Follow God. And here. He's telling us Esau. Esau wanted to repent, but he couldn't. It tells us that remember the sons of Eli. Their father was talking to them about their sin, but they couldn't obey and listen because God wanted to kill them. There is a certain line beyond which you cross, you will not be able to repent. It's not like it's not like God will not forgive you. God will forgive you. But you will never be able to bring yourself to the place where you even ask for his forgiveness. Because you will never truly repent. Right? And that is when you have entered into something beyond forgiveness. Which is why the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, right, do not harden your heart. But let's all soften our hearts. So that the Lord will work on us. We want to pray. And we're not going to stand because I believe it is very personal. I want you to look at this scripture as we pray. Our first prayer, ask God to search you. Many times you don't even know what's going on in your heart. Or you think it's okay. You think there's nothing wrong, right? But it's sin. It's what God says is wrong. So you want to pray, Lord, show me what I'm doing that doesn't please you. Search my heart. Okay? Like David prayed. Let's pray. any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me not continue in my sin, Holy Spirit, but reveal it to me so that I will turn away from it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take this next prayer. I want to pray for the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Says when he is come, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that helps you to constantly put your life right. right? It says in Psalms that um, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on a level ground. The Holy Spirit that leads us and teaches us what to do that is right. So ask the Holy Spirit, help me if you are struggling with any sin. 
Just ask, Holy Spirit, please help me. Help me to overcome. Help me to rise above this sin. Just pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need your help. Because we have seen that sin is what takes your presence away from us. And we want your presence to be with us and to remain with us. So help us. Let your strength and power be given to us to overcome every sin that easily besets us. We want to please you, Lord. We want to honor you with our lives. So we're asking for your help in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I want you to know that God will always forgive when we truly repent. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how many times. If we truly repent, which is in our hearts, you know, whether anybody knows or not, in our hearts, God will forgive. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. A word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let these words never leave our hearts. Continue to speak to us as we ponder over it and set us free by the power of your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.